Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for the sixth episode of Podcast Nonsense. I'm Patrick Krebs, and uh, I've got Miles Santo here. Hi everyone. Hey Miles, how you how doing? How are you Patrick? I'm good mate. How thanks are you? for coming. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we haven't had like a, like a solid converse, sit down conversation in like a year. No, it's like a long time. This is perfect. It just yeah. happened to be recorded for the entire world to listen to if they want to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's the way to Thank do it. Thank you for my coffee, by the way. Oh, absolutely. I ran into Kay this morning. Do you know Kay? Kay. No, I don't think I do. She's like a composer for Disney. Oh, cool. And she was there at the Starbucks. So we like talked for a while. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy running into people all the time now. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's really yeah, great. I know it's good. So what's new with you, man? What have you been working on? I've been busy, man. I've been really busy. Yeah. I was back in Australia for a little while. I think I've seen you since then, but I was mm-hmm. back down there for a for a bit, and I've kind of been um, kind of in in recovery from that experience for a couple of months. It was a really intense job that I was doing down there, and I lost a bunch of weight for it. So I feel like since I've been back, I've just been kind of like leveling out and getting myself back to, you know, a place of health. And, a, you know, it's been, it's been really yeah. interesting and kind of like settling back into life. Yeah. In when, LA. Did, when did you go down there? I went down there in, I think it was the end of July. And I was down there for almost three months. Whoa. Yeah. It was a long time. And I was, I was making this movie down there and... I've never worked so hard in my entire life. I was on set all day, every day. I was in almost every scene of the film. And I'd also lost 20 pounds. And I'm pretty small to start Whoa. with. So it was a really, really intense experience. And the entire um, you know, world of this film is all pretty heavy. It's emotionally pretty exhausting to be walking on a set every single day with this heavy kind of content. But it was a really special experience as well. The script was gorgeous and... There were some really amazing people involved in it. And What's the movie about? It's called Teenage Kicks. Um, and I guess it's about this, uh, this young guy called Miklos Varga, who's a Hungarian. His family is an immigrant family from Hungary. And um, he's in the final year of high school, and he loses his brother. And he feels quite guilty for that. He feels a bit responsible. He was kind of involved in the accident that killed him, and he carries a ton of guilt and a ton of shame. And it's kind of about mixing th- those feelings with what it is to be 17 years old and terrified of life and yeah. terrified of growing up and the intensity of all the hormones bursting through your body and how everything when you're 17 years old is so heightened. Everything feels like it's forever and it's going to last forever and that kind of intensity of being 17 and really not sure what your identity is just yet and trying to figure that out. It's, it was a pretty, it's a pretty beautiful script and it was a pretty fun thing to work on. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty intense. It was really intense. It's pretty intense. And kind of tr- in, in trying to deal with, or not deal with, trying to escape the feelings of guilt and shame and fear and all that stuff yeah, that that's was going on. Yeah, that's on top of being like a 17-year-old. Yeah, in, in dealing with or trying to not deal with that stuff, he the character loses himself in sex and drugs mm. and all kinds of different ways to escape from what he's feeling, which I can totally identify with. It was a really fun Is thing. That, that was your character? That was, that was my character, character yeah. Wow, that's yeah. really powerful. Yeah, it's really intense. How do you... I've always been fascinated with how you set yourself up to be in that kind of mind space. And then you're in that mind space, right? Like, you had to... And, I mean, how long has it been since you went back to Australia? It had been, like, three years. Three I hadn't years. been back in a so long time. So this is, like, not only yeah. going to be a rigorous emotional experience for you yeah. in the film itself with the role. yeah. But you are kind of revisiting something that 
you don't want to revisit. Totally. You know? Yeah. you know, I kind of left Australia in the midst of a pretty turbulent point in my life. I mean, I'm, I was pretty young when I was leaving, but mm. it was all pretty rocky and I ran away to kind of come over here and escape all of the troubles that were happening down there mm. and kind of my relationships. And it, yeah, it was terrifying to go back and do a job, potentially bump into all these people who I've not really wanted to speak to in a long time. It was right. a really, really kind of... Um, confronting experience to go on but I think that a lot of that stuff really helped the work that I was doing you know those feelings of fear and also the physical uncomfortability of being so small all of a sudden I think really served that character you know I, I remember mm -hmm. being 17 years old having just had this massive growth spurt not really being sure how to use my body just yet and bumping into things all the time and totally. falling over not sure what my balance was and that was totally true for me it was very organic that stuff which I think really helped in making that film I don't know, I'm not, I'm not like in no way a method actor. I in no way feel mm. as though I have to become the mm. character. I'm kind of of the school of thought that the entire thing is about creating the illusion of character. There's no such thing as character. It's words on a page that I stand up and say clearly, you know? Right, right. Pot potentially I have an accent. Potentially I have yeah. a limp, whatever. Mm -hmm. But as long as I'm kind of creating the illusion of character, that's all that matters for me. You know, okay. and I'm, as long as I'm not distracting people away from the story. That's right. all I am, I think. So, it's a vessel for story. So offset, you just like, you go back to North, because I can't, like, I mean, I think all of us are in one way or another, like acting every day and like totally. our job roles are the like assignments that we get yeah. from society and stuff like that. And yeah. I know that like, even from like work to home, like my personality changes and I'm kind of a different person. We're so, always adopting new masks. Yeah. Trying to fit into yeah. Our so if you have to go into the situation for, you know, you know, like, uh, like 15 hours a, a day, you go on a set and you're like this kid. Yeah. You know, when you get up, does that carry over when you're off set? I think it was. I think sleep? it was just like, the nature of how much I was working as well, though. You know, if I was, I'm spending 15 hours of my day on set telling this story of this young man who's really struggling with life. Mm -hmm. And then I get home and I've got four hours. I kind of, yeah, sure, I was carrying that energy much more than I was Miles' organic energy because that was the world that I was living and that right. was the work that I was doing, you right. know? I think that's pretty common if you're a lawyer and you're, you know, in court for 15 hours of the day, you'll come home and still be kind of in that zone. It just kind of takes yeah, over totally part makes of sense, you. sense, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess you would just be in that headspace for the entire totally. time of the case. Yeah. So... How long, I mean, okay, so let's talk about, like, the end of the movie. Like, when you're done with the movie, how long does it take you to unravel out of that headspace? It's pretty common that I, th I think this is pretty common for a lot of people who work in, in entertainment and, and this kind of work, that when you wrap a job, you work so intensely and love this project so much and put all of your energy and all of your time and all of your hours into this one thing. And when it wraps up, there's this kind of depression that falls mm -hmm. over you. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been working so hard and then it's, gone it kind of evaporates and the next mm. time you'll get to deal with it is when you're doing post work on it which may not be for a year for me as an actor right, right. you know and it's kind of really strange the come down of that and recognizing that the work is now done i can leave yeah. it behind and evolve it ready for the next thing that pops up so like it's a real it's a really kind of deflating moment once you've done a really big job like that it's yeah. really it's scary what next what next yeah that's something that that's something that I experienced too, just the, the come down from the project. And you put so much, I mean, this past week, I think I, I did like uh, like 24 hours of overtime or something like that. Wow. And it was like, um, you know, you kind of, it's like running a marathon, you know? And then when the marathon's over, they're like, thanks for coming. 
Yeah. You know? Good thanks, job. Thanks for being here. Good job. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> you know, and you're like, what? Uh, uh, yeah. Like. And there's the never ending <laughs> idea of like, what if I did this a little bit different? What if I had done this part yeah. like this? And That's that interesting. is. That is such a waste of energy. Yeah. It's such a waste of energy. And do it's you, so fucking... Do you... I mean, do you, are you there for like dailies? Do you watch yourself in dailies? I, up until very, very recently, I've, for the most part in my career, chosen to not watch my work. It's not for me. Mm. I enjoy going on, you know, walking on the set, like analyzing these characters, like walking on the set, saying my lines, doing my job, telling the truth. And that's it. I don't like watching myself. I yeah. really, really don't. And I don't, I don't, you know, I've seen this film that I did in Australia because I've been involved in that project for almost six years of my life. So mm-hmm. it was a really important one, I think, if any, to see. But for the most part, no, I don't, I don't like to watch my stuff at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I'm looking at the wrong that. things. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, uh, with, with this thing, I certainly listened to the podcasts and um, I had some initial reservations about that and like a really weird emotional like because I think as artists we tend to like you're like you're saying you know focus on what we did wrong instead of what we did right totally you know and focus on the negative um but there's something to be said about that you know creating a a better work of art I totally get that yeah I totally get I'll I'll hear the way things went or I'll hear things I said or things I did, you yeah. know, kind of think to myself, you know, subconsciously it's there to, you know. I get these noises in my head that are like, what is the point? You're wasting your time. Like yeah. when I'm watching myself, <laughs> it's like that. And that's not helpful. That's not productive. Wow. Tell me, yeah. tell me about that. Cause I get that a lot. And we've it goes on all the time. And I think that's called the ego. I think it's maybe the human condition. We've mm-hmm. got this kind of really cool reality when we have this mind that's judging and separating it and keeping us away from it so that we're ultimately a little bit unhappy with what's going on. We yeah. need to seek more. And I think what it comes down to is our minds are survival mechanisms. I think when humans evolved into what we are now, we're looking for something to keep away from predators and get food and all this stuff. And as time has evolved and we have shelter and we have, you know, safety, mm-hmm. our minds have become bored. So they kind of find new things to destroy us with and new things to busy themselves with. You're right. ugly. You don't look very nice today. You're useless. You're worthless. <laughs> and for me, it's about taking my attention away from that part of myself. And because it's really not that helpful to me, I use my mind. I'm doing my best to use my mind as a tool, you know, to use it for the things that I need to to do, to schedule things and to, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's not the part of me that I think is real. I don't think I am my thoughts. I think I'm the person who listens to them. And that's a really interesting idea for me to be, you know, living with right now. Because for so long I was crippled by the stuff in my head. Mm -hmm. And I think I've got like a narrator to the story, to my story. It doesn't like me very much. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool to recognize I don't have to listen to that guy anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I tell people this story where I had this experience... Um, I had this, this experience where I was told that there was a voice in my head and that it Did wanted... Did the voice tell you this? No, no, no. <laughs> There's this voice in your head and like it wants to kill you. You know, it's like the, yeah, yeah. the ego thing, you know. And, and I don't know if it was in a like a like Carl Jung book or, yeah. or what it was, but you know, there's this like ego that wants to kill you. And for the longest time in my life, I think the voice was speaking through me. You know, like this person that was inside me. You were giving this noise a voice through your mouth. Yeah, exactly. And I was just, I was not auditing it. Yeah. It was just running the show. Yeah. You know? And then when, uh, 
when I was consciously aware of it, I started to hear the, I, I identified the voice. I started to hear the voice and be like, whoa, you know, there's this, there's this thing inside of me that I'm just, I'm reacting to. I'm not in yeah. control of these, th- these actions, you know? Yeah. And uh, it took me a couple of months to, to pull him away from the mic. Yeah. You know, and to hear him before I acted and think to myself, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, you're telling me to do this thing. I should think about that. And then I'd think about it for a second. And then I went through a couple months of maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not going to do what the voice says. You know, yeah. we'll just experiment with like not doing what the voice wants. Maybe me to I'm do. not being fed facts by this voice. Yeah, maybe this voice is lying. Yeah, you know, and then you know, and you you test it, you pepper it. Yeah, you know, and and you pick and you choose things, and every time I think to myself, this voice is lying to me, it would be lying to me. Yeah, and then after a couple months, you start thinking to yourself. Is this voice always lying to me? Yeah. I'm not going to do anything the voice tells me, <laughs> you know? And you just, like, put it away. And then this voice just gets, like, louder. Like, mm-hmm. it gets angry that it's not being allowed to do what it wants, you know? Yeah. And um, you build a pattern for yourself of, like... And then I think I think now, through enough of the process and through enough self-awareness that, like, I hear the voice, and it's not it's not a liar anymore. You know, it knows, interesting. it knows that it doesn't need negative attention from yeah. me, you know? That's really interesting. So now I hear it every now and then I go, okay, well, if you've fed me something that's that's positive that works, yeah. like, let's think about that let's and entertain go with it. That. And let's go with it. You know, and it's yeah. kind of like training a dog, right? Totally. <laughs> but it's it's like And it's always looking soul. for a weak spot to kind of hurt you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then, you know, as soon as it gets enough of you're right, as soon as it gets enough of the reins, yeah. Like it's back and it's like You're on a roller coaster. Yeah. It's like you are you shouldn't do this today. Yeah. You shouldn't nope. Just stay. It's at a home, waste of time. On the couch, yeah. Put know? a bag on your head, it's time to yeah. not let the world like, see you. What are you, you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, you're wasting everyone's yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, I totally get it. And it's, it's for me, it's kind of a constant struggle of purely just shifting my awareness away from that part of me. You know, when I'm like kind of living from my chest and going with those kind of impulses, mm-hmm. I'm in a much better place when I'm li- listening to my head. Because it's normally a desire system. It's me wanting things. I need this. I want this for safety. Or you know. Sure, sure. And it's just not really helpful to me. It doesn't yeah. serve me and kind of th- serve the person, the kind of person that I want to be ultimately. You know. We, um, I want. This has been a, a constant theme, and we had. I had a buddy of mine, Dimitri, on. I mm. don't know if you listen to that at all. If you haven't, you should because he got. Um, he's really not happy with his work situation. Right. And it, like his podcast got really dark and like he expressed a lot of what you're talking about now. And I, and a lot of people have come up to me and been like, I identify with him. Like, I feel like I'm stuck in the same kind of, and it's, so I feel like you have, um, I want to know what you, what you do, what actions you take to kind of get out of that headspace. It's a lot of stuff. I think when I was pretty young, I got to, I was taught meditation, which for me was, um, because I've been dealing with these, I called them the voices when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I've learned that's kind of part of the human condition, and some people have it more than others, mm-hmm. you know? Some people call it the ego, whatever. I, call, I called it the voices when I was a kid, these voices that would say that I'm worthless, that I had no point in, in you know, being where I was, I was ugly, I was useless, I was dumb, all those different things constantly going on, and 
someone taught me meditation when I was really young, like eight years old, and that was really huge for me. And it was about that, of shifting my awareness from the noise in my head, the voices, which terrified my mom, by the way. You mm. tell your mom when you're seven years old that you're hearing voices, <laughs> that's going to scare some people. Right, right. And they Let's took go me to the doctor. Yeah, like, come on, Miles, time to go and talk to the doctor. Yeah. Just put this jacket on. Um, <laughs> yeah. I went. I got taken to a to a psychiatrist and to counselors and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And what was the common theme was that all of them would say, "He's hearing voices, but they're his voice. Mm-hmm. It's not somewhat some other kind of person. This isn't a schizophrenic thing. This is very right. much like just Miles being cruel to himself. Yeah, and being self aware of yeah, you know, of what's going on and judging what's happening in in his reality. Mm-hmm. So I ta- I got taught meditation. That was huge for me. It was about sh- in the most basic form for me when I was young. It was about shifting my awareness away from the noise in my head, which happens to just be constant. Mm-hmm. When I wake up in the morning, it's already there. Mm-hmm. When I'm going to sleep, it's still there. Mm-hmm. So it was about shifting my awareness away from that and focusing just on my breath. You know, the one thing that's really keeping me alive, breath, coming into my lungs, oxygenating my blood, then flowing back out again. That kind of stuff. Fascinating. Fascinating. Really simple stuff like that. I'm just focusing on one simple truth, which is that I breathe. Mm-hmm. I breathe. Let's focus on that as opposed to the noise inside of my head. So that was huge, shifting focus from there. And as time went on, I found a whole number of different things. I think being physical really helps. Mm-hmm. You know, running or doing yeah, yoga. Yeah, running and exercise. I think for, for me, I find a lot of... I find a lot of um, reflection and running totally you know but even just like uh, just going to the gym and like lifting weights even if you're not doing anything if you're yeah. just you know being stupid and lifting weights yeah you, know, you le- like is just you just have to get to a level where like your body hurts yeah just a little <laughs> you know if you leave the gym and your body hurts a little you're just like yeah okay okay you know, i fought I fought a battle today. today, Yeah, I've been thinking about this new gym idea. What do you think? I feel as though the reason why most people don't want to go to the gym is because the aim is to get stronger or to get better muscles or to get more toned, whatever, right? I feel as though if we added the element of fear into the equation, that might be better. So have like a kind of boot camp gym Mm -hmm. and have a bunch of people at a starting line and then have a guy with a chainsaw chase them. And then there's all these different like <laughs> obstacle courses, like rope ladders and like yeah. they have to go underneath and like maybe do a limbo thing yeah. and whatever. Right. Yeah. Like maybe like a little boat, like yeah. a rowing section. Yeah. And if they don't fucking do it, they get killed by this guy with a chainsaw. <laughs> People will work out so hard if they have someone chasing them with a, yeah, with a weapon, totally. a deadly weapon. Yeah, totally. I think it's genius. <laughs> you want in on this? I think it's good. Yeah, let's go find some venture capital and, <laughs> yeah. and let's kill some lazy people. <laughs> the aim is not to kill them. The aim is for them to get into shape. Right, That's right, the right, key. Right. Murder is well, not the point of this thing. You know, it's funny that, like, that is something that's happening, right? With, like, the Tough mutter and, like, the these kind of obstacle races. Have you seen these things? I've seen these things, but no one's being... This isn't an idea that's already happened, is it? No, but no. People aren't being chased. Nobody's being chased. Nobody's Tough Mudder is nothing like there's this. There's no fear, but there's... <laughs> There that's is, just I crazy do, people that's different i do think there's like you know like if you work out for like a couple months in a row you get to a place where you're like uh you're very bored with the workout totally and i know like one of the things robert downey jr said when he was training for iron man was like he told his trainer he's like look i'm not gonna train if this isn't interesting or fun what did he yeah. do and so the guy came up with all sorts of things you know they started with like putting bricks in a wheelbarrow and like doing races through the hills with like a real wheelbarrow full of bricks, you know, or like carrying a log. I would love to see that man and racing like through the hills the, with yeah, a wheelbarrow right? full of bricks. Right? Yeah. Because I think he's just like on his property or whatever. You yeah, know? right. The guy's just devising 
ways to exercise that aren't exercise. You know, like yeah. uh, the Tough Man contests you see where they pick up the giant boulder and put it on the pedestal. That's insane. That kind of shit. And it's know? always an Icelandic man who wins that competition as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always Scandinavians <laughs> who are winning that competition. What's happening up there? They've got no night. There's no night. Ah, that's it. They're just working out they're, nonstop. And crazy. Yeah. They're just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been there? I've never been to Iceland. To Iceland? Yeah. No, I've not. And I want to go. I want to go so bad. It looks so gorgeous. Yeah. And for some reason, the Scandinavians and Icelandic in particular make the best folk music in the world. They Do make they? incredible folk music. Yeah. I haven't heard any it's, of the folk music. It's, I don't know why that part of the world makes these really beautiful folk songs. Where do you find do. folk music? For Scandinavians, I mean, it's not—it's not even specifically Scandinavian. It mm-hmm. sounds like kind of pre, you know pre-war folk songs. It sounds like early Bob Dylan. It sounds like Joan Baez. It's like Americana okay. folk. It's really? coming out of Scandinavia. There's this guy called Tallest Man on Earth who is this amazing voice. I gotta write that down. Yeah, you'd love him. Okay. With these amazing lyrics, just a, such a beautiful lyricist and an amazing guitar player. Just him and his guitar and this other band called First Aid Kit. Whose newer stuff I haven't heard, but when they first came out, they were just beautiful. I don't know why that part of the world makes such good folk songs, but they do. You know, I think it's uh, maybe it has. To, I I think they're finding a new a new level of like freedom. Yeah, you know, yeah. like a lot of those countries are really like taking it to the head and like totally like putting like regulating the bankers and taking their money back. And yeah, being like look, you know, like we don't need uh, this like cancerous cycle of profit. Yeah. We need houses to live in. We need good food to eat. Yeah. You know? Good education. Good education. Yeah. Serving the people. Serving, yeah. And just kind of like living life yeah. on life's terms. That's and huge. just being healthy individuals. Yeah. You know? So I think they've found like a great deal of freedom. So, you know, if you're an artist and your needs are met socially, yeah. then like you just, you're happy and yeah. you're going to make good music. Yeah, you'll right. sing about it. Yeah, you've been making music lately. <laughs> I right? have. Yeah, it's yeah. been good. It's been really good. What are you playing? You playing the guitar? I play guitar and I play a bit of banjo and I play some mandolin and I sing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's where'd been the, really fun. Where'd the mandolin come into it? I've been obsessed with folk music since I was a kid. I don't know why. I just love bluegrass, which is the opposite of like the Australian idea of yeah. good music. Yeah. Like to the nth degree, it's more down there like cold chisel and ACDC. And for some reason I was singing wagon wheel when I was a kid. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Rock me mama like a wagon. When I was like a child, and everyone was like, what the hell is wrong with your kid? Michelle is talking yeah. about voices and singing bluegrass. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always wanted to play mandolin, and about a year and a half ago, I got my first mandolin because I love this this guy called Chris Tiley, who's in a band called Nickel Creek. Okay, he's an incredible musician, and I just started, you know, playing it, and it's a really fun instrument. It's really fun, and yeah, I'm not really sure what I'm doing with this music stuff just yet. I've been playing. I was playing in a rock band for a couple of months, and I'm now making, um, doing kind of folk songs, little folk duo, and. I don't know. It's, I'm really enjoying it, though. It's fun to have a creative outlet that right now isn't a, isn't a career. You know, it's nice yeah, that it's just kind of an that outlet. Is nice. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Not that, you know, I don't enjoy doing the stuff that I do for, for money and, and the stuff that I do as a, as a career, but it's nice to just have something that I kind of do for fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had a friend tell me when I was in school for, uh, for like, doing what I do in visual effects, and he said, you know, when you come out here, it's going to be a job. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I get it, but that's, you know, I want to make the, make the hobby a job, yeah. you know, and I just kind of was like, uh, arrogant about it, I guess. Mm. And then I got out here and then a couple of years later it was a job and I was like, oh yeah, like he was totally right. 
you know? Yeah. And um, you need something that's not that's not a job. Totally. <laughs> you definitely need a creative outlet. I think that when I am job. doing the job, it's my it's m- really important for me because normally as an actor, I'll do like a six-week six shoot and I'm not working for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I think the most important for me thing for me when I am working is to try and find a way to make it feel like it's not work the entire time mm-hmm. and to make it feel like it's play. It's fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Acting, playing pretend is a pretty fun thing to do. I've been yeah. doing it since I was a child. And I think finding a way even in the, you know, schedule of the job and the 16-hour days or whatever it is to find a way to kind of keep it fun. Otherwise, I end up being kind of ungrateful for this wonderful job that I get to do. Totally. You know, it's totally. really important, I think, to remain in that place. It's nice that you get that time off in between, too. You know, you get a little hiatus yeah. to kind of get some space. Yeah. Think about what you've done. Yeah. Play with some things. Totally. Maybe pick up something new. I think before, you know, a couple of years, when I was a bit younger, I would have found the time off really... I did. I found it really defeating, and it was like I was a waste of space, and I can't believe no one's hired me yet, and mm-hmm. I am just... But now I'm kind of viewing it as like it's the universe's way of saying there's kind of some work to do on yourself now, man. Go and go and do some other stuff. That's a great way to look at it. And kind of using that time for some kind of personal growth or fun. And that's really like a uh, that's a tough thing to you know in that career. Yeah, it's a tough thing to face. You know, because you're constantly like putting yourself in front of people and saying, "I'm here, judge me." Yeah, you know, and then you get. I don't know what the percentage is, but probably a lot of the time people are like, "Nope." No, we, ju- we judge you thumbs down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You've been judged. It's not good. You've been judged. You've been judged. Yeah. Please leave. You know, and the euphoria that comes with like the judge, like the thumbs up. Totally. And then getting there and be like, oh, let endorphin rush now. when someone says you've done great. Oh my god, can we get you to meet the producers? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's difficult. Awesome. It's difficult, but I think that you know, using that time and using any time that I'm not working as a time for like growth in another part of my life is pretty good and I think it always serves that part of my my career as well you know if I see so many actors who do nothing but sit in class and do nothing but you know read books about acting and I feel like they forget that they're gonna be doing a job which is to create the illusion of reality Mm -hmm. when it comes time for them to do that job they've got no concept of what reality is because they've been living in actor land for so long, learning about how to pretend things are real and no concept of what reality actually is. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be in, you know? (laughs) It's like, how do you pretend things are real if you've got no idea what a real thing actually is? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not something that you can, I mean, you can't watch, you can't watch 10 hours of somebody being a chef and then go act like you're a chef. Yeah. You've got to like go to a kitchen and get yelled at for like a month, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's, I mean, that's got to be hard for a lot of people, too. That's probably very limiting for a lot of people that aren't, you know, on top of their game. Yeah. You know, who are kind of struggling. They don't have the time or the money to go experiment with life, you know? But I think that doing a shitty job is experimenting with life. I don't think there's anything specifically that they have to do. I think that just being a human being, trying to pay their bills is a pretty good struggle that will certainly serve some part of their work later on. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I think being a human being is really important for yeah for being an actor. Yeah. Yeah. To <laughs> just get out of there. Just get get out and interact with people. You're yeah, and just yeah. just be. You know. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I read on your IMDb page, dude, that you did a play with um, Kate Blanchett. Yeah, it was her company in Australia. Yeah. That was a really cool experience. I'd just been doing right before that. I'd I'd gone to New York and studied because I was doing a children's TV series for a couple of years. And I kind of was 
you know, I think I was 16 and I was with a couple of these actors who were quite well known in Australia and who had been to drama school and who had studied their craft. And I really just learned doing the job. I got my first TV show when I was eight years old. And I kind of worked up until that point and I had this moment of like, I am so inadequate. I need to find a craft. I need to go and learn in a room how to do this. So I went to New York to David Mamet's school mm. called the Atlantic Acting School and had this amazing period of for the first time really investing in plays and understanding these great playwrights and, you know, doing Chekhov and doing Shakespeare and doing, you know, Eugene O'Neill and all these wonderful playwrights, the mm. best writing ever written. Yeah. And kind of looking into that stuff and got this amazing passion for theatre. I really loved it so much. And I was over there for just over a year and I got called to come back and do more of this children's TV series, a mm. second season. And so I came back and I was doing this job and kind of resenting it a little bit because it wasn't what I'd been doing in New York. It mm. wasn't the best playwrights in the entire world. It was Australian children's TV writers, mm. which is a very mm -hmm. different kind of yeah. thing. And a little so different than Mammoth. A little bit different than Mammoth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, in retrospect, there's no, there's no, neither is greater. Both of them are telling stories to people who want to hear stories. Mm -hmm. You know, both of them served a massive purpose. And I think that that children's TV series has helped a lot of kids, you know, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. It's just for a different audience. Um, but I was really wanting to, to do theater. And then I heard that, um, the Sydney theater company, which is Kate Blanchett and her husband's company mm -hmm. was putting on, um, a wonderful playwright called Polly Stenham's newer play. Polly Stenham was this 19-year-old powerhouse who wrote this play called That Face. What year is this? When That Face was on in London, it, was, it happened in like 2008, I okay. think. Okay. And she wrote this play um, at the Royal Court who's very, very um, supportive of young writers. She wrote this play called That Face. They put it on and then it got like weeks after it closed, they put it on on the West End. And it, that's like the Broadway of England. Sure, sure. And it just had this amazing run with Felicity Duncan and Hannah Murray and Matt Smith from Doctor Who mm. and did this amazing run, this beautiful play. And she was held as like the new voice of the generation. Like every writer who's young is the yeah. voice of the generation. <laughs> but it's a really great play. And she had this, and I totally related to that story as well. A lot of the stuff in that play, I really kind of, uh, really affected me in a lot of ways. I never saw it, but I read it. What and was it about? About this, oh, it's going to sound really bad now. This, I'm going to tell you what it's about. And I really connect with this right, story. Right about this young guy, and I connect more with the feelings, more so than the actual um, mm -hmm. circumstances of the story, but it was about this young guy who um, are these two kids and their mother was schizophrenic and she was off the walls and he was trying to mother her and kind of like the dynamic of the family being totally shifted because of mental illness, mm. essentially. Um, and... So, yeah, I heard that her new play called Tuss Tuss was coming to Australia and that was my only focus was I read the play 15 times before I auditioned for it and learned, you know, pretty much the entire play for the audition and went in and, and met with the director and just played. You know, I just had a really good time mm -hmm. in that room and, and it was really cool to have had the experience of being in New York and learning what, what you know, theatre storytelling is to be able to yeah, kind of bring it to amazing. that. And, it was really, really cool. Ended up getting the job after Kate Blanchett approved me, which is huge to have yeah, Kate Blanchett approve yeah. your work. And yeah. she would walk into the rehearsal room sometimes and give these really kind of obscure directions that only Kate Blanchett would be allowed right, to give. Right, right. Like, it's really good. It's really good. Could you do it more orange this time? Just a little bit more orange. More orange. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and whatever Kate Blanchett says, you do. So I'd made it. God, I made it more orange immediately. <laughs> it was so orange, you could not <laughs> believe it. 
but it was a really cool experience. Are you just, did you just pick a random variable, or are you, are you what was that? Patrick, I did it more orange. Yeah, <laughs> nothing's random about being orange. <laughs> I was just very orange. How do you do something more orange? You wouldn't understand. You would not like get the, it. Like it's between the, me and Kate. Okay, you would not okay, get okay. it. <laughs> But it was really cool, you know, doing rehearsing for seven weeks, which you never get to do in film and TV, rehearse. Mm-hmm. Seven weeks of nothing but rehearsals. Having someone like Kate Blanchett walk into the room and give notes. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. And then doing this play every, you know, eight times a week for a bunch of weeks was really cool. And breathing the same air as the audience, that was so fucking cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. being in the same room and creating an energy in the room that's organic that everyone can feel. I loved it. I really did. We were talking, um, I was talking to, um, my, my dad about this, who was an actor the other day. And we were talking about the experience when you're doing a stage play where there are some days where there's some days where like, you've got it and you're like, this is really good. And you yeah. go out on stage and like, you kill it and you come back and like people talk to you after the play and they're like, yeah, yeah. it was good. And there's some days where you're just like, somebody comes to you and they're like, you're on and you're like, oh shit. And you like jump out on stage and you're trying to make it work. And then you come off stage and people come up to you afterwards and they're like, that was the best thing I've ever seen. And you're like, really? You know, and you're looking at you just like surprised you pulled it off. It's so frustrating. That is so true. Yeah. That like so much of the time I know my own work and other people's work that I watch when they're not so focused on doing it. Mm -hmm. It is a million times better. And I think that comes down to not listening to those voices in your head, that vulture saying, you're not very good at this. You're not telling yeah. the story well enough. And because you're literally just focusing on like getting the lines up because you were a second ago smoking a cigarette outside yeah. when you were meant to be getting ready to do the show, you're so kind of... You're present. You're present. Yeah. You're actually embracing every moment as if it were the first because you're not sure where you are just yet. And that yeah. is an amazing thing. And such a difficult thing to harness, I think. Yeah. But that is the spirit of... Of doing good work, I think, in any of any artistic venture, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. His presence. That's interesting. Yeah. So you'd rather be doing, would you rather be doing stage plays than? No, not at all. I think for me, I, I really love that experience. It was, a, the play was really, really fun. It was a really, really gritty kind of thing to mm-hmm. be able to work on. And the writing was great. I was really, really inspired by the writing. But no, not, I just want to tell, good, like, my dream is to just be able to tell good stories, you mm-hmm. know, to really just tell stories that excite me and perhaps, you know, might, you know, incite some form of social change, things that I care about and things that are important to me. Okay. But all around, just tell really, really good stories. And I don't care if, if I'm directing it or if I'm writing it or mm-hmm. if I'm acting in it and whether it's on film or TV or in theater or... You know, who knows? I'm, I'm down. I just love telling stories. I realized a little while ago that I started acting because I was I love telling stories that was what it came down to I was always painting pictures and writing stories and and I was a really shy timid kid so I got put into acting class and that worked for me because Mm. it was just about telling stories and that was how I would escape my reality at that time that's how I kind of felt comfortable in the world was by playing a character Mm. and I just love telling stories I just love telling stories and that's it's cool to look back now and go wow I love this job and I love doing what I do for the same reasons as I did when I was a child. Interesting. That's a pretty cool thing to have somehow made into a career. You know? Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. That's very I cool. I feel really blessed to be able to continue I really doing identify it. with the storytelling thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did, I, in college I studied history because I just had such, I had probably like three teachers through the course of uh, like elementary school and mm-hmm. high school and stuff that were just really amazing storytellers. Yeah. You know, and it's about the story. So like when, 
I think that too is probably why like I'm so drawn to the entertainment industry is because it's it's those stories that are what's fascinating, you know, and I've identified that. But it's um and that's the root of all of this stuff that we we work on is a story. It's really primal, right? Yeah, you know, it just goes back to the days where we're sitting around the fire, exactly like, drawing on cave walls, ourselves, trying to trying to learn something about ourselves that we don't know don't and make know. sense of these experiences. I think it once makes, we yeah. make them into a story and allegorize them, it becomes kind of it makes more sense in retrospect when yeah. we can make it into a story. Otherwise, they're just experiences that are happening to us. Yeah, we kind of make sense of life and the world once we start making them into stories. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of people, I think a lot of people don't have that. Mm. Do you think a lot of people don't have that? I don't know. I feel like a lot of people forget that. Yeah. You know, really forget that. And I think, you know, specifically in this industry, I feel like a lot of people forget that they're there to tell a story Mm -hmm. because of the idea of revenue and having, you know, meeting a certain quota and making a gross profit and all these different things. They forget that this is actually about storytelling, not about making money. Right. That should be a byproduct of telling a really, really good story, I think. Yeah. That would be a way to go about it, I think. I mean, that's something that we face all the time. That's like a a, a constant discussion. Yeah. uh, Especially like with the, like visual effects saturation that happened in the past decade. Yeah. It's like, you know, even the, even the, Visual effects makers are like, guys, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like, it, there, there doesn't need to be, like, a 15-minute log flume ride in the middle <laughs> of, like, a Lord of the Rings movie. But like, it's going to make a know. great ride. It's going to yeah. make a fantastic <laughs> theme park attraction. <laughs> that seems really important to but me. But we know that when you're watching yeah. it and you're, you're uh, dishonoring the audience. Yeah. You know, you're playing to the lowest common denominator. And yeah. Just, you know, it's embarrassing sometimes. Yeah. You know? It can be, but, you know, in someone's defense, I'm not sure who I'm defending here, <laughs> if making more money means they can continue telling stories... Well, that's the compromise, Then go right? for it, that's you know? like, I'm running for president, I'll tell whatever lie I can get yeah. to get into office. Yeah. And then when I'm in office, I can affect real change. You just made but, it sound real bad. But not really. Are you running for president? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a tricky one. Yeah, that is tricky. I like what George Clooney said. He he does these um, Nescafe commercials in Europe and Australia. Have you seen these things? Yeah, totally. I'm George. I like coffee. Yeah. And someone said to him, George, I don't know if you know this, but you're a massive star now. Like, you're, a, you're really kind of like an A-lister. Yeah. You know, when you're doing the ER, maybe you were like kind of D, teetering on a C, yeah. but now you're definitely an A. Since Descendants, you're an A. Oh, dude, he's, he's Jack Nicholson. He's the king. He totally is. He's the king. And this interviewer was like, so why are you still doing these, like, awful Nescafe commercials? And he was like, I'll tell you what. If by me selling a bit of coffee means that I get to make the movies I want to make, I'm going to sell coffee until I die. Right. And I love that. He just uses all the checks he gets from those commercials, which he would be paid, you know, so much for. Yeah. Being an A-lister. Yeah. And just channels that straight into making a new movie that he wants to make that studio studios will not put money into. How cool is that? He also, he, did you hear he bought a satellite? He's got a satellite and he's got a team that monitors the satellite to like watch the Sudan. To watch the what? He watches warlords in the Sudan with a satellite that he bought with the money. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll find you a link, I'll send you a link, and we'll put a link on the website. But like this is, it's a real What, he thing. has a feed going on that we can watch it as well? 
I don't know if we can watch it. Oh. I don't know if it's like, but he just uses it. I feel it like George and I could be like... really good friends. <laughs> I feel as though him and I could really become close. <laughs> I do. Hearing that kind of thing makes yeah. me go, you know what? Yeah. George. I think we all feel that way. <laughs> I think me more than anybody else. No, I think more, me more specifically. <laughs> right. I feel as though him and I have something really special to be had in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You know, George Clooney listens to the podcast. He does. Every I... week. That's awesome. Every week he gets How did he get involved in listening to this? Pat, Pat last week's <laughs> last week's he was like, I didn't listen to that first one, but by podcast two. <laughs> like you were just on my radar. Yeah. 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 This yeah. is totally up his alley, I, I yeah. think. Podcast nonsense. <laughs> it's totally what he's going for. Oh man, that's great. I got a um I thought of you because I got a, a Ram Das book. Which one? For uh Christmas. I forget what it was. It's the one where he reviews all of the, uh, what is it, Bhagavad Gita? Oh, great. That's a good one. I think Thinking God. Is that what yeah. it's called? I, I don't know which if, one that is, but he's got this great book called. where he goes through and analyzes the Bhagavad Gita, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite translations of that text. It's pretty true. But you're, you're yeah. into him, right? I love Ram Dass. Yeah, yeah, I really do. I think that... Um, my mom was a total hippie back in the 60s, and mm-hmm. so she had a copy of Be Here Now, which is like his big, mm-hmm. his first book, um, lying around the house. And I would look through that as a child and thumb through it because the entire center of it is these brown paper pages um, with these amazing illustrations in them. And as a child, they're great. It's a great picture book. Mm-hmm. you know. And it's cool that I was kind of like obsessed with these pictures of butterflies and these pictures of like, there's, there's this one that I used to love as a child that was like a heart, and it said the heart cape, and there was this beautiful mandala around it. And it was just really cool to like look through as a child. Mm. And it was interesting as I grew up and, and, and kind of went through some stuff of my own, reading back over this book and looking at these pictures that I was familiar with from childhood and going, there are some really beautiful universal truths in this stuff. There are some really powerful things in there. And Ram Dass is so non-denominational. You know, he's not focused on even Hinduism being the focus of his, of his spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's certainly in there. The Hindu ideas are absolutely in there. But there's also, and he was born and raised a Jew, you mm-hmm. know. He was born and raised as, a, as, as Richard Alpert. And all that stuff is in there. Judaism is in there. Christianity is in there. Catholicism, Sufism, all these different spiritualities coming in to like serve one universal purpose, which is love. Mm-hmm. This one universal truth, which is love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of the root of everything. In his, in his text. And it's really beautiful stuff. It's mm. really beautiful stuff. And he really um, articulates in a really, really succinct way this idea that there's many different religions with these different ideas and different kind of modes of control for that part of society. But when it comes down to it, they all just come down to love. Yeah. And yeah. compassion. And you can, you can kind of, you know, bury them and you can disguise them or not disguise them, that sounds... But you can paint them in different colors and, 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 you know, structure them in a certain way. But when it comes down to it, it's just one very simple idea, mm. which is cool. Yeah. I love his writing so much. Yeah. I, I always have. And a lot of his podcasts are great as well. Oh, he's got podcasts. Yeah. There's this big archive of his from talks he's been giving since like the 60s yeah. up until he had his stroke in 2003. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool stuff. I'll have to check those out. He speaks in a way where... He he speaks in this way where there's such delight in his voice. And then he takes these pauses and you can just... It's like you can feel your heart expanding because you can just hear him looking across an audience of people with love. He speaks a lot about loving awareness and that being where he's coming from is a place of just nothing but loving awareness. That's what I get from it. I get just really thoughtful 
mindful reflections yeah. on the core truths. Yeah. You know? Um, and being someone who is so prolific and ha- who has written for so long about this kind of stuff and having come from a psychologist's background, he has this really kind of amazing perspective on everything that's going on and he covers so many different bases. He has this amazing bit that speaks so loud to me where he talks about this idea of judging other people and how you walk into a forest and you look at all of the trees and some of them have bent up trying to get towards the light and you don't judge them and go, that's an ugly tree. You just go, oh, that's the forest. Right. That's the forest. They're just trying to get towards the light. And some of them are mangled. But we don't go, that's an ugly tree. That's a bad tree. That's, you just kind of observe them and accept them for what they are. Mm-hmm. And the idea of bringing that kind of idea into humanity and observing the people all around us as people who are just bending towards to get towards the light mm-hmm. as opposed to that's a bad person, that's a mean person, that's an yeah. ugly person. Letting go of the judgment, letting go of the expectation, which is ultimately the end of suffering. Right. It's really weird how we label everything and judge everything like that. Yeah. It's how we find our identity, I think, is by labeling different things and judging them. We figure out where we stand. And once you throw that stuff away, it's scary. It's like an identity crisis. Right. Because the identity is like that's a false pretense anyway. Totally. You know, there's no identity. There's no label. And it's like, and everything that society is bombarding you with is just trying to get you into a place where you're like a functional job role you know yeah. you, you've got a label and that's like your yeah. place and like i was thinking that this is gonna um it's such, it's coming from such a superficial place the oscars did you see the oscars i saw bits and pieces so the oscars were like um what's what's your name saying from uh up in the air she did the, oh anna kendrick you know, the, anna kendrick man she sang at the Oscars, and it was, she's very, very good, Yeah, you know? And then uh, Lady Gaga did... I saw that. You saw the Julie Andrews? I'm not going to lie, I cried in that part of the show. Dude, she was good. And so I felt like there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that was like, you know, when Anna Kendrick's, like, I don't know a lot of people that saw Into the Woods, and I don't know a lot of people that know... Did you see it? I didn't see it. No. I didn't see it. And, um... But uh, my my family like loves Sondheim and mm. like uh, they used to listen to that on records and stuff. Yeah. They clean in the ha- like cleaning the house on a Saturday. They just play. It's good music. Sondheim in the back or yeah. Sunday in the Park with George, you know, and um, it's really good music. And it's right, you know, he, like learned under Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah, you know, he's the like, best of the best. Yeah, he's like the best. And but so. She, I think singing at the Oscars for her was kind of like, I can do this too, mm. you know? Yeah. Or like, I'm not just this because she's been in it. She's good. And she's yeah. good in the movies that she's been in. But you know, she, to do that is kind of to go out in front of everybody and in the industry something and say, else. I'm bigger than this. Yeah. You know? So like, yeah. let me expand a little, Yeah. you know? And, um, Lady Gaga's thing too was, I'm bigger than this. I had no idea that she had a voice. You know, I've known yeah. her as this personality who dresses in really wacky ways and wears meat on red carpets. Yeah. Good for you, Lady Gaga, but I had no idea that she was talented and had a voice. Yeah. I was blown away. I was just losing my mind going, this is that person that I've seen everywhere for the past, what is it, seven years now or something? Yeah. And she can really sing. She's really gifted. She's really gifted. And it was kind of like, um, I she was... 
I think a, like giving into the man a little. You know, she went on stage. She was all dressed up. She yeah. had the makeup on. You still see the <laughs> funky tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, uh, you know, like I can do this too. Yeah. And so I feel like there were three, there were three or four instances in the Oscars where like people were coming out and saying, you know, like I can do this too. Yeah. And it's that, and I just thought to myself, I was like, damn, you know, like those people are, in, we're all in the same place. Yeah. We're all in the same place. We're all pigeonholed in the thing that we do. And once you get embedded in the thing that you do, it's so hard to, it's so hard to, whether it's fear of loss or yeah. being scared of the unknown, yeah. it's so hard to step out of the thing that you do and say, I'm bigger than this. Yeah. You know? And I feel like there's a big movement right now going on where people are kind of say, at least the people that, that I've been exposed to and I'm right, you know, my personal experience, I'm seeing people kind of be like, I'm bigger than this. Mm. You know, like we don't want to, I don't, the postman doesn't want to be a postman anymore. He wants to be a postman and he wants to like have this like website online <laughs> and he's, you know, like maybe he's like singing on YouTube yeah. or like whatever, but like, he's, yeah. you know, so um, I just find that really fascinating. It was really touching me to see like people step out of their comfort zones totally. and be like, "This is I'm not, you know, I'm not just this. I'm not just this." Yeah, and growing, and uh, I think that goes a long way to serving, you know, getting rid of the labels. Totally. You know, I know for me, it's just like I'm totally comfortable in what I do, and mm. like it's so scary to even think about like doing something different. Yeah, you know, and you can just get stuck in that. It's tough because comfort can become complacency and apathy real fast if really you're not fast. watching it. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. That's why I started doing this is because... This is great that you're doing this. This scares me. Yeah, that's wonderful. It scares me. And you go through all of those things that we talked about at the beginning where it's like um, that voice yeah. reads the script. And the script is, what are you going to talk about? You don't wanna, Yeah. You know, and I, like, I still... I talk about this every time. This is the point in the podcast where I talk about this, guys. I'm sorry, but like... You should have like a theme song for this section. <laughs> now it's time for a Patrick. <laughs> now it's time for, you know, like talking about... Uh, my mind still, for an hour before the podcast, I start to generate things to talk about. Even though every podcast... What, planning a kind of... Yeah, a, like if... A semi-script and yeah, things go, a funny it, thing things to say. To slow down or yeah. if there's something to like, you know, you can That's pick up... That's a good thing to do, though, I think. So there's not awkward pauses. And I think when you go on a date, you normally have a couple of conversation points to kind of go, okay, worst case scenario, if for some reason there is nothing to talk about, I'll talk about this thing. That's kind of a normal well, thing to do, funny. I think. I mean, that's funny because it's a lot like a date. It you is. Know, it's a lot like you go on a blind date with somebody. Yeah. Like... I don't know how this is. And, but immediately, I mean, like, what happens is what happened in this thing. You know, like, you sat down, we started talking. Yeah, and it starts going. And it's a good conversation. Yeah. You know, and so there's nothing, there's nothing to be scared of there. But that is, like, an unknown. And yeah. anytime we face an unknown, our mind just, like, spins into this, how can we... How can we control or manage the unknown? Yeah. You know? And we don't and get to. And you don't get to. So like, And what a release is that? What an amazing freedom well, I mean, is I that? I think most people then take a step back and they go, oh, then I just won't go there. No, walk through it, man. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. You have it's to really lean into cool. it. You have to lean into it. And get, yeah. So, man, if you're out there and you've always wanted to go scuba diving and you haven't been scuba diving, like, go sign up for those lessons. Yeah, go do it. You know? Just do it. If you want to go do a play in the city... Go do a play in the city. Yeah. You know, if you want to write a book, 
Like nothing's stopping you from writing. Yeah. Books. And now at this point in history, we're just at a place where like so many things are available. So many people are like living in this world of the oil's going away or water's drying up or there's not going to be enough yeah. food or things are getting more expensive. And it's just like, that's like, that's not the case. Like I bought a microphone and we're sitting in my, in like at my dining room table having exactly. a conversation and I'm posting it on the web. And yeah. like, 10 years ago, that was Larry King. Exactly. You know, like that's, and I'm not comparing myself to Larry King. I th- it sounded like I'm you just, were actually. I'm just <laughs> saying that like, you know, things are available to us that have and never been And we can do them, exactly. And we can do them, you know? Like yeah. if you want to be a graphic designer, if you want to learn how to like paint, like go paint. Exactly. Want to be know? a filmmaker, buy a camera, want to be a, a pole dancer, buy a goddamn pole. It's, it's all out there. It's all out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I have a cousin that is uh, is like a genius. He works at Disney now. Um, and he, like, there was one thing. I, I played the piano for like 10 years growing up. Right. And there was one Thanksgiving where I went home and this kid like sat down and played like Fur Elise perfectly mm. at the piano. And I was just like, how'd you do that? And he's like, man, I just watched like some YouTube videos. <laughs> and I was like so resentful. Yeah. Me. I was so resentful that like you can just, so there, there are literally no excuses. Mm. There are no excuses. You know, if you don't know trigonometry, like. I do not. Go to, go to Khan Academy and look at it, you know. What like, if I don't, don't want to though? Well, then you don't have to. Okay, good. I'm not going to have to. You yeah, know? it's not going to happen. Like, if you want to learn more about what it's like to act in a greater shade of orange yeah youtube it this podcast exists yeah exactly so just go i'm sure it's on it. youtube as well i'm sure it's yeah. a thing yeah yeah orange acting <laughs> it's a thing <laughs> dude it's great to talk to you i miss you and i'm sorry that we haven't done this more yeah this is really cool yeah this is really cool yeah, yeah. and it's documented now we should do this again soon it's documented yeah it's on the computer yeah it's gonna be live on hell the internet. yeah 3,000 years from now. In 3,000 years? That's a long time to wait to post it, Patrick. People will uh, will look back on this and be like, who are these people? Will you post it before 3,000 years, do you think? Oh, yeah. This is going up on Monday. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes up every Monday. That's good. Yeah. So I feel like 3,000 years to release this podcast is like a little bit too long. I'm going to, there's going to be an extra five minutes after I turn the mics off. Yeah. Where I keep the mics on. Okay. And we take the headphones off. Yeah. And we talk about the podcast. Okay. That I'm going to wait 3,000 years to release. Perfect. Yeah. You should save something for 3,000 years away when it's just Palladians on planet Earth. You know, Wells Fargo wants like $10,000 to be able to like track that and post it 3,000 years from now. Really? Can you believe that? Let's do it. It's a little expensive. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, it's great to talk to you. Thanks Again, for having this me, has man. been like Miles Santo, and I'm Patrick Krebs, and you've been listening to Podcast Nonsense. Thanks for joining us. Please say hi to us on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you do your social media jam. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone.